Hey everyone and welcome back to Her Every Day. My name is Allison Laser, and I'm your host and I'm so excited that you are tuning in to today's episode of Her Every Day. Today I'm going to be sharing a little bit about my story with birth control and my blood clot diagnosis and I am really excited to talk about this and talk about this a little bit more in depth than I, I probably have. Um, in a hot minute. I share a lot about um, my journey with blood clots and birth control and my open heart surgery and everything on Instagram, but it's just little snippets here and there. You know, I can only share so much in a caption or in a reel. And so today I'm really going to take a deeper dive, just share everything and give you guys, honestly, just a very vulnerable look into what my blood clot diagnosis looked like um, and how I figured out that birth control caused my blood clots. And then I'm actually going to have a part two of this where I dive in a little bit deeper into um, my CTEF diagnosis, which then led to my open heart surgery. And I told you guys in some other episodes that this was kind of the plan for February and March. because February is the anniversary of my open heart surgery that's actually coming up this week on Valentine's Day, which is really crazy. It's going to be four years on Valentine's Day since my open heart surgery. And then March is Blood Clot Awareness Month. Um, So I thought it was fitting to focus on this topic, um, share a little bit more about birth birth control and blood clots, share a little bit more of my story. I also plan to interview some friends who have been really great support systems as I have gone through this journey and um, just people that I've met along the way. So I'm really excited for you to hear from them. I'm really excited to dive a little bit deeper and share more of this with you all. Um, And honestly, throughout the next couple weeks too, I'll probably sprinkle in some other episodes here and there that don't have to do with blood clots and birth control and all of this, but this is going to be kind of the main focus um, over the next few weeks. It's definitely a very highly requested topic as well, so I hope that you guys learn a lot from, from tuning in and that, you know, this is also a great resource for you to share with a friend who may have gotten diagnosed with blood clots recently, um, maybe even share with a friend who's thinking about going on the pill or off the pill, whatever it might be. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to chat about this with all of you guys. And also, if you have not tuned in to some of the most recent episodes of Her Every Day, definitely do that. Do like a little catch up with some of those episodes. The last two episodes that I did with my friend Katie are two of my absolute favorite episodes and one of my favorite conversations that I think I've ever had. Um while podcasting. And so definitely tune in to part one and part two. We are talking all about um, embracing your single season, being intentional in your season of singleness. And so it's a really great encouragement for the single ladies um, as we're coming up to Valentine's Day, but also if um, you have a friend who's struggling in their single season, it's a great thing to share with them, um, just encourage them as they're in the season. So definitely tune in. I just had to give a little shout out um, for those two episodes because I just, I love them. Also, I've really been loving getting tagged in all of your posts about 
when you're listening to her every day, where you're listening to her every day. I absolutely love it. So please keep sharing, keep tagging me, keep tagging the podcast. I love seeing when you're listening, if you're listening on your commute, if you're listening when you're on a walk, on a run, you know, while you're cleaning, whatever it might be. I love seeing where and when you guys are listening to her every day. And I just appreciate you sharing the podcast so much. So thank you for doing that as well. Just want to share all of that before we dive into today's episode. So yeah, let's, let's dive into it. Let's get to it. Some of you guys have probably heard me share snippets of this. Some of it might be a little bit redundant, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to be really, really vulnerable, really real and just share honestly everything. And it's kind of funny now because it has been a couple years since I was initially diagnosed. You always feel like you're going to remember every single detail. And I, I've realized that I don't remember everything as clearly as what I thought I would. And that's another reason why I like to share my story because I, I want to remember it as clearly as I can because I want to continue to bring awareness, but also I want to consist consistently remind myself like just how big of a deal it is that I am now healed. So that's why I keep sharing. But also I, I want to always be sharing my story and always just be sharing what I went through, the dangers of blood clots, the dangers of birth control, because so many women just do not know about this. And I realize that more as I have continued to share is that it's actually very common that women are diagnosed with blood clots because of birth control, but so many women don't think it's common. And so many women don't even realize that it's even a thing, that it's even possible because birth control is so common and so many women are on birth control. And so I really just keep sharing my story and I will share my story until I am long gone because women need to hear what can happen when you go on birth control. Women need to know the realities of what can happen when they're putting certain things in their bodies. And I think it is the biggest disservice to women that they are not properly educated on birth control and all of its risks. There was actually a period of time where I felt, I don't want to say insecure, but I felt like I was annoying people by sharing my story so much because I was like, you know, it's been a couple years now since my initial diagnosis. It's now been a couple years since I had my open heart surgery. You know, is my story still impactful even though it's been a couple of years? Are people going to get tired of hearing me talk about this? And that prevented me from sharing my story as consistently as what I once did. But what I realized is that there are people that need to hear what you have to say. And this goes for anything, regardless of what your story is, whatever it is that you've gone through, people need to hear your story because whatever your story is, it can help someone else. And so I want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you have gone through a blood clot diagnosis because of birth control, share it. If you are someone who has struggled with, you know, depression or anxiety, share your story. If, if you've gone through some other type of diagnosis, if you have gone through, um, you know, grief, like whatever it might be, share your story because genuinely you do not know who could be impacted by your story, who you could help, who you could save. And... I think it's always really important to remember that 
your voice is really your superpower. And by sharing your story, by sharing your voice, by sharing the things that you've gone through, you can impact people um, far more than you even realize. And I have really realized that as I have continued to share my story, because, you know, obviously I share a lot on social media, but I get messages honestly weekly from women who have been diagnosed with blood clots, CTEF, um, are needing the same uh, PT surgery that I had. And they have found me because I have continued to share my story. And now I'm able to be a support system for them, which is honestly very surreal because when I was first diagnosed with blood clots, I didn't really have a support system besides my family, which obviously is so thankful that I had my family and they were so supportive. But I didn't really have a support system of people who had been through what I was going through. And I felt so alone. I felt, it felt so isolating. And so that's another reason why I share my stories because I don't want anybody to feel like they are alone in their diagnosis of blood clots. And, um, especially women, um, who are diagnosed because of birth control. I, I want people to know that there's other women out there who have gone through this and they've made it through and they've come out stronger. And so, that's why I share. And that was just a big rambling tangent, but that is why I share my story. And I cannot, again, encourage you enough to share your story, whatever it may be, because your voice, your story can have so much of an impact on other people. There's a quote that I love. Um, and it goes, I think I'm, I might butcher this a little bit. Actually, mm, let me look it up. Um, all right, here's the quote. Tell the story of the mountains you climbed. Your words could become a page in someone else's survival guide. And that's by Morgan Harper Nichols. I love all of her quotes, but this one is one that I keep in the back of my mind constantly. Your words could become a page in someone else's survival guide. You do not know the impact that your words and your story can have. Keep sharing. Like she says, it could be a page in somebody else's survival guide. So tuck that in your back pocket. If you, you know, are feeling maybe like you're sharing your story too much. If you haven't shared your story yet, but you want to, you don't know who you could help, who you could save. And I just, I can't encourage you to share your story enough. So that's my little tangent to start off this podcast episode, but that is really why I share and why I encourage you to share too. So let's dive into how I ended up getting diagnosed with blood clots. So we're going to go way, way back to when I was 20. <laughs> I was 20 years old and this was in 2017, which feels like 10 bajillion years ago. So crazy. Um, but I was about to go study abroad in Spain. I've talked about this with you guys a little bit before, but when I was in college, I commuted to college, and so um, I didn't have like that normal college experience, but I was minoring in Spanish at the time, ended up majoring in Spanish, and because I didn't have that normal college experience, my parents, um, they were like, you know, if you want to go and study abroad, go for it, and instead of just the semester, go for, you know, two semesters. So that's what I ended up doing. I was, when I was 20, I was getting ready to go study abroad in Valencia, Spain for two semesters. I have always, always struggled with really terrible, painful, 
lack of a better word, not to be TMI, but bloody periods. And it has always, from the time I have gotten my period, I have always struggled with it. It's always been so painful. I've had terrible cramps, terrible back pain. Um, I would get period flu symptoms. Sometimes I still do where I would get so nauseous, would throw up. Um, it, it was just miserable. And my period really like dictated my life. Like I couldn't, you know, wear certain clothes that I wanted to because my periods would be so heavy and I would bleed through things. Um, going to school when I had my period was just awful because I always felt like I was just bleeding through my pants and it was just, it was terrible, but I just kind of figured, you know, this is what you have to live with. My mom had struggled with the same thing. Um, and so I just kind of thought this is what it is. Like, I just have to kind of figure it out and, you know, just deal with this on a monthly basis. When I learned that I was going to Spain around the same time, you know, a lot of my friends, they had started going on birth control and some who experienced like similar period symptoms and things to me, like it helped them a ton. And so my mom really did not want me to go on the pill um, because my mom is a breast cancer survivor and she thought that the pill potentially contributed to um, her breast cancer. And so she really encouraged me not to go on the pill for that reason. Um, but because I had heard, you know, of so many of my friends' stories and they were like, this has really helped me. And not only that, like my skin's clearer, you know, my period is so much lighter. I don't get cramps anymore, whatever. I really wanted to go on it, especially before I went to Spain, because I thought, you know, if I'm traveling and I'm going to be there for like eight, nine months, whatever it might be, um, you know, and I'm going to be traveling around the world. I don't want to have to, you know, not be able to go out one day and sightsee because my period's so bad or I don't want to be throwing up you know in a foreign country because of my period and so I decided that I wanted to go on the pill and I ended up going to an OB and he prescribed me a very low estrogen birth control pill and for me I didn't think anything of it I didn't really know anything about the pill I didn't do research I was 20 years old I just knew that pretty much all my friends were on the birth control pill. They were fine. It's like the normal thing to do. I was kind of late to the game, only going on the pill at 20 years old. A lot of people got on it in high school and stuff. And I just thought it was normal. It was common. And this is what you did. And I was really, really excited to go on the pill and not have to worry about my period anymore. Um, or my period being so bad anymore. So I went on this low estrogen birth control pill and it honestly helped me so much. I went from having to use like ultra tampons and bleeding through them like every hour to wearing like a super tampon um, and not having cramps and, you know, just being able to live my life and have my life not be dictated by my period or every month be dictated by my period. And so um, I was really thankful for it. So I was on that for a few months before I ended up flying to Spain. And so when I initially got to Spain, I was doing a lot of sightseeing, a lot of traveling and everybody that I was traveling with, I, I was with a, a program, pretty much everybody was sick, like here and there. We were in a new country. We were on planes. We were, you know, staying in not necessarily the best of the best, you know, Airbnbs. Some people were staying in hostels. We were all together. 
we were out and about, like we were partying, we were doing a lot of stuff. And so everybody would get sick here and there. So I really didn't feel well pretty much the entire time I was in Spain. Like I landed, obviously felt great, but as time went on and I was traveling more, started to not feel great. I thought I just had a cold, thought my immune system was just out of whack. Didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then it just kind of started to get worse and worse and worse. And I had so many symptoms that I didn't pick up on. Um, I was coughing constantly and I was coughing so much that my rib hurt. Like I would move a certain way. It would hurt. I would cough. It was just like this searing pain. It was so painful. Um, and eventually I started to notice that I was getting out of breath too. I would walk from my host family's apartment to my school it was about a one mile walk. And I started to realize over time that I was getting more and more out of breath as I was walking. And I thought it was kind of weird, but then I thought, you know, I'm not really exercising. Like I'm walking, but I'm not really exercising. And I'm definitely probably eating food that's really not so great for me all the time. So kind of makes sense that I would be more out of breath. I really just brushed it off. And Obviously, I shouldn't have, but all of these things just started happening, and I, I really didn't think anything of it. I thought it was normal, um, but it wasn't, and I remember a couple of moments during my time in Spain where I should have known that something was so wrong, and I didn't. One of those being, it was like one of the first few weeks that I was in Spain, and we had just done like a, a walking tour around Valencia and I got, I remember I got home, like went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night with the worst pain in my calves. Like it hurt so bad. It was like Charlie horse on steroids. I felt like my muscles were like contract, like it was just, it was terrible. And I remember sitting up just like crying, like thinking what in the world is happening to me? And then it stopped. And this happened a few times. And I didn't think anything of it because other people had complained that they were getting Charlie horses because we were walking so much and a lot of us weren't used to walking that much. And also none of us were really drinking that much water. Um, so I just thought, you know, we're all dehydrated. We're walking a ton. We're sightseeing a ton. It's okay. You know, it's happening to other people. Then Again, I started to get like really sick. I went to a clinic. Um, they told me I had mono. They gave me a Z pack. They were like, you know, maybe when you go back home for Christmas, get checked out. But we think you just have mono because, you know, you're tired and you're coughing. And yeah. So I thought that I had mono too because that's what they told me. That's what the Spanish doctors told me. Um, and then another instance was I was in Morocco and this was within like one of the first few months of being in Spain um, or being with my program, we went to Morocco and we were in the Sahara Desert, which was super cool. And I highly recommend going, um, but we were in the desert and we were walking up sand dunes. And there was this one sand dune that was really, really, really big. And all my friends, they were like running up it and they were out of breath. Like 
you know, it's a sand dune. It's hard to run up, but they ran up it and they were able to get to the top. And I remember literally trying to get to the top of this sand dune and being so out of breath and being so embarrassed that I like legitimately could not get to the top of the sand dune. And again, another moment where I should have known that something was wrong, but I just thought I was out of shape. You know, I'm not used to how hot it is. It's, you know, all sand and running up a sand dune is not easy. Like I'm just out of shape. You know, th those are my thoughts. Um, but I should have been able to do it. If something in my mind should have told me that this is not normal, that you should be able to do this. Um, another instance where I knew that something, or I should have known that something was wrong is when my mom came to visit me. I forget where we were. We might've been in Northern Spain, but we were walking up like a really steep, um, walkway. I forget. I think it was Northern Spain, but we were walking up like a really steep hill and my rib had been hurting so badly because I was coughing all the time, but I was walking up this hill and I was so out of breath, like just so out of breath. And because I was breathing so heavily, my rib was hurting like crazy. And I remember I was like, I'm not going to be able to make it up. And I think I started crying and my mom was like, what is wrong with you? And I mean, it was just terrible. And it was something that, again, I should have been able to do. I should have been able to walk up this steep hill, but I was just so out of breath. And again, I just thought that I was so out of shape. Um, and so I had so many little moments like that when I was in Spain, moments where it should have been just a, a giant like red flag that something was wrong and I just brushed it off and I ignored it and I really just didn't think it was a big deal. Um, also, there was another moment I remember I, I was sleeping and I was like having a cough. Well, I was sleeping and then I woke up because I was having a coughing fit. And I remember that I was coughing so hard that I heard this ginormous pop in my ribs and just pain. It was horrible. Um, and I mean, I should have again known something was wrong. And that's part of the reason why my rib kept hurting, you know, over the next few weeks and months. Um, but I just, I brushed it off. But I remember that moment so clearly too. It was absolutely terrible. But again, so many moments like that, little moments like that where I just brushed it off. So after being in Spain, which it was an amazing experience, but looking back, I wish that I had realized how bad I felt because I think I would have had a lot more fun when I was there. Um, but when I got back home from Spain, I was taking summer classes at Westchester, which is where I went to college. And um, after, once I got home too, I kind of stopped coughing. I started to feel better. Like I didn't feel sick all the time. Um, but then I started to notice again that I was getting like short of breath. And there was a moment where I was walking from the parking garage on Westchester's campus to my classroom, which Westchester's campus isn't that big. And the length that I had to walk, it was definitely not more than like a quarter of a mile, if that. Um, but I remember I was so lightheaded and I was so out of breath that I had to sit down like three or four times before I made it 
to my classroom. And it was in that moment where I started to think, you know, something might actually be wrong with me. Like, you know, this isn't normal and I shouldn't be this out of shape. Um, and I shouldn't be this lightheaded, but I just, again, brushed it off. Um, I thought, you know, maybe I didn't eat enough. Like, you know, that's why I'm lightheaded or like whatever. Um, also at this point in my life, I was terrified of doctors, so terrified of doctors, terrified of needles, terrified of blood. And so I did everything that I could do to avoid going to the doctors. Um, and so just brushed everything off. Now, after my summer classes were over, I went on a trip to Mexico with my mom. I was still, at this point, I was 21, um, but I went on a trip to Mexico with my mom, and I had kind of started to tell her that, you know, I was getting out of breath a little bit and, like, lightheaded and stuff, but this is where she really saw it firsthand. Um... I was on the plane to Mexico and I had a similar situation where I could not walk from the plane to baggage claim without sitting down like three times to catch my breath. And my mom was like, something is so wrong with you. This is not normal. What's going on? And I, I just said, you know, I don't know. And then it kept happening. Once we got to the hotel, I couldn't walk from the hotel room to the pool without needing to sit down because I was lightheaded because I was out of breath. And my mom seeing this firsthand, she, she told me, you know, when we get home, you're going to the doctors because there's something so wrong with you. I was also taking naps. I never took naps. I, I do not nap. And I started to realize, you know, how concerned my mom was. And so when I got home, I think it was a few days later, I got into um, the doctors and I remember before I left, my mom did not want to go to the doctors with me. She goes, you're 21 years old. You should be able to handle going to the doctors by yourself. And so I was going to tackle this, this appointment all by myself. So I remember I drove there. My mom wasn't going to come and then she ended up coming, thankfully. Um, but before I left, um, my dad, he's actually a medical malpractice attorney, so he knows all the medical lingo. He's very familiar with a lot of different conditions. Before I left to go to the doctor, my dad said, ask the doctor to check for blood clots because you did just more recently start on birth control. And so I, I was like, okay, I'll ask them, but there's no way it's that. I didn't even really know what a blood clot was. I, I didn't... I had heard of people getting blood clots, but I didn't really know if it was serious. Like I really had no idea, but I went to this doctor's appointment. And so, um, I talked to my doctor and she was, she was amazing. She is amazing. She's still my doctor. Um, but she was so thorough and that's something that I really, really appreciate because I feel like not everybody gets that experience with a doctor from the second that I told her what was going on and what my concerns were, she was basically like, we are going to do every single test that I can physically do in this office so that we can get you an answer. Um, and so I don't know if it's because she realized that maybe it was more serious than what I did in the moment. Um, but regardless, she was so thorough and that is something that I will be forever grateful for. So I did an asthma test. Um, I had a blood test, which I definitely cried during because I was 
terrified of needles and blood and all of that. Um, I had a CAT scan with, um, with imaging um, where they put like the, the ink in, in your veins to see what's happening um, on the inside. And I think I did an EKG, um, all these different things. Um, and I remember the last test that I had was um, the CAT scan. And I remember I, I went downstairs for the CAT scan and I walked back upstairs to the doctor's um, office. And I remember I, I thought that I was going to have to wait to see the doctor again, but the nurse that was there, she was there holding the door open for me and she was like ushering me and my mom inside. And I thought this is kind of weird because very rarely are you at a doctor's office and you don't have to wait. Um, and then she put me in a room and when I walked into the room, my doctor was sitting there waiting for me. And in that moment, that's when I knew I think something's wrong with me. And so my doctor sat me and my mom down and she said, Allison, I just looked at your CAT scan. Both of your lungs are covered in blood clots. You need to go to the ER right now. Do you need an ambulance or can your mom take you? That was all she said. And I immediately started just freaking out internally because I was like, what, what is going on? And my mom said, I can take her. And my doctor goes, you can take her. But once you get in the car, you cannot stop. You know, she was like, which emergency room do you want to go to? I'm going to call them. They're going to be expecting you. But once you leave this building and you get in your car, you need to go straight there. Do not go home to get anything. Do not stop for gas. Go right to the emergency room. And my mom was definitely shocked too. And she was like, okay. So we get in the car and we drive to Bryn Mawr Hospital emergency room. And when I walk in, they are expecting me. They are ready for me. There's a nurse there. They bring me back. They put in an IV. Um, they do, they take all my vitals, everything. And after that moment, I just had a doctor after doctor after doctor coming into my room. And I was so overwhelmed because I had never been admitted to the hospital before. I had never really, I'd never been in an emergency room before. And I know I've said this, but I was terrified of anything medical. Being in a hospital was like one of my worst fears. And looking back on it now, I think that the reason why I had such a huge fear of hospitals and even doctors um, was because when I was younger, like I mentioned earlier, my mom had cancer and I was six years old and I remember going to the hospital to visit her. And I think that just little six-year-old Allison just saw her mom in a hospital and just really internalized this fear of doctors and anything medical and, and all of that. And so I knew that something was so, so serious. Like what I was going through was, was not normal. It was serious because I had all these doctors coming in. Um, my mom then also called my dad and my dad came to the hospital as well. And so I was, I was talking to 
a hematologist, a pulmonologist, a cardiologist, nurses, um, the emergency room doctor, and they were all just asking me for my medical history over and over and over again. Um, and then they kept asking me, you know, like what I had been doing like the past year, had anything changed? And I was telling them, you know, I was studying abroad. I was in Spain. I was traveling a lot. I had recently gone on birth control, like all these things. And I felt like I repeated that story, gosh, probably 15 times. And I was just so, so overwhelmed. Um, eventually then a pulmonologist came in and this, this pulmonologist, he, he is probably the reason why I was, <sighs> this pulmonologist, he knew what I knew what he was talking about to an extent, but he had a really terrible bedside manner. <laughs> like he had such a bad bedside manner, but he honestly, he saved my life in that moment. But, um, and this pulmonologist, he, he came in and, and he said, you know, Allison, you have three options. He said, your lungs are covered in clots. You have a ginormous clot, almost completely blocking your pulmonary artery. If we don't do something soon, you're going to go into shock and die. And if you were 20 years older, you would be dead right now. So you have three options. You can go on a five day heparin drip. Heparin is a, like a heavy duty blood thinner essentially. And we can see if any of these clots dissolve. You can, the next option is you can go on another blood thinner, which I think is called TPA, if I remember correctly, but it's, you know, a very, very high dose of a blood thinner. And for some people, they don't react well with it and then they end up stroking out. So that's your second option. Your third option is we do a heart catheterization where we put a catheter in your body and um, we drip um, some blood thinners on this ginormous clot in your pulmonary artery. And we see if this catheter can break up the clot. And because I was 20 at the time, I wasn't a minor. So even though my parents were with me, I had to make the decision of what to do. And I remember I was so scared. I was like, what if I make the wrong decision? What the heck am I going to do? Like what in the world? And so thankfully, you know, my parents were there and we did kind of talk through all the options, but I ended up um, doing the heart catheterization and this was really the first um, medical procedure really that I ever had to have. And so I was so scared. My heart rate now also because I had so many clots in my body or in my lungs, my heart rate was so high and I forgot to mention that when I was in Spain too, and over the summer, um, during summer classes and stuff, I was having heart palpitations, like crazy heart palpitations, something else that I should have taken a little bit more seriously, but here we are. Um, and so my resting heart rate when I was at the hospital, it was like 130, which is insane. And I remember whenever a doctor would come into my room, it would jump to like 150, 160. Like it was so crazy. And I remember the doctors they were like, you need to calm down. Like your heart is beating so fast. You need to calm down. And I could not calm down. And so when they were wheeling me back for this heart catheterization, my heart was just beating, beating, beating out of my chest because I was so terrified. Um, but the doctors, the nurses, they were, 
really amazing. And so what they did um, is they brought me back and they there's two ways you can do a heart catheterization. So you can go through the groin or you can go through the neck. Um, with this one, they went through my groin. Um, and so a heart catheter, it's basically just like a long, a long wire pretty much, um, that they like stick through your, your vein or your artery. I don't know which one. Um, but it goes all the way up to, well, it can go up to your heart, but in my case, they were just getting it to my pulmonary artery to where, um, the giant clot was. And so they had, I forget what exactly it's called, but it's a catheter where the end part vibrates. And so the vibration breaks up the clot. And so then they also drip, um, blood thinners. I, I think it was heparin, um, onto the clot as well to also help with, with breaking it up. So I remember I, I was there, I was very high on drugs, thankfully. Uh, they had me kind of sedated, but I was awake because there were times when I had to breathe and stuff. And I remember I was laying on this table and I was so scared, so stressed out. And I remember the one nurse came over um, and she just held my hand. And I don't know why I'm getting emotional she just held my hand and she was just like, you're going to be okay. And I remember she just talked to me the entire time. It just helped me just get through it because I was so, so scared. And I didn't even know, um, you know, in that moment, like everything else that was to come. But I just remember the kindness of that nurse when I was getting my heart catheterization and just how kind she was to me. And ugh, I am so fortunate that throughout this whole journey, I have had just like the best nurses, really great doctors who were just so, so kind. Like they saw how scared I was and they were just so kind to me. Um, oh, I did not think I was going to get emotional during this, <laughs> during this part of the episode. Um, but yeah, so I had the heart catheterization and I actually, I had to lay flat, um, on my back for 18 hours with this heart catheter in. And so a lot of times with heart catheters, it's kind of like they put it in and they, they look at stuff and then they take it out. But because they really wanted this, um, you know, clot to dissolve, it was in for 18 hours. And so I was in the ICU overnight and then they took out, um, the heart catheter. And then I ended up staying in, um, in the hospital for like another six nights in the ICU. And the reason was, after they took out the catheter, um, you know, they, they were looking a little bit more at the damage that had been caused because the first concern was to just dissolve this clot because they thought I was going to go into shock. Um, and so they saw that my heart was damaged and very enlarged because basically for a year, my heart had been working in overdrive. Um, because my pulmonary artery was blocked. So 
my heart wasn't able to pump out blood. That's why, you know, it was beating so fast and, um, you know, it, it was meeting resistance, um, from the clots. And so my heart was really damaged. Um, the left side, I believe it was, was very enlarged and it was just, it was not doing well. Um, the other part of that is because my heart was really struggling to pump out blood, my pulmonary artery pressures were really, really high. So I had pulmonary hypertension, which is not good. <laughs> not good at all, especially when you are 21 years old. Um, and so it was, it was just a while. They wanted to keep me under observation because they were like, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. Like your heart is really damaged. Um, and also my iron levels were so low. I was so severely anemic and that does tie into having blood clots, but it also runs in my family. Um, so I was so severely anemic that they thought that I was going to need a blood transfusion. So I had to stay, um, in the hospital in case I needed a blood transfusion. I ended up getting iron transfusions. Um, and it was, it was wild, but during the course of that time as well, if you remember a little bit earlier, I told you that when I was in Spain, I was, I had one night where I was coughing so much that I heard a pop in my rib. We learned after getting some x-rays that my rib showed signs of having been fractured. And so we think that while I was in Spain, I was coughing so much that I like legit broke a rib, which is wild. Um, and so I stayed in the hospital for about six days. And after that, I was released. Um, but before I was released from the hospital, this pulmonologist who I said didn't have the best bedside manner, um, he told me and um, my mom and my dad, he said, you know, I have only seen one other person with blood clots as severe as you. And she needed an open heart surgery to remove them. And she had to go to San Diego for the surgery. And I remember we all just like looked at this doctor. I immediately started crying because I was like, what is happening? Like I, I thought that, you know, maybe eventually down the road, like in a few months, like I'll be able to heal. Like, I know it's bad now, but there's no way I'm going to need an open heart surgery. And my parents were freaking out and they were like, he's definitely wrong. There's no way. Um, he ended up being very accurate on that. But I just remember in that moment thinking, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so scared. I have no idea how I'm going to make it through. And that, what he said, that stuck with me. It really, really did. It, it just stuck with me. And I think it, it honestly, it made me more scared. But I, I appreciate him being very honest and blunt about it. Um, now looking back in the moment, no, but now I, I appreciate that he, he kind of in a way prepared me for what was to come. Um, so also, like I mentioned, my dad is a medical malpractice attorney. So while he knows a lot of medical lingo, he also, he has a lot of really wonderful connections, um, thankfully. And those connections helped out a lot when my mom um, had cancer and they played such a huge role in me being able to get the care that I got. Um, 
when I was diagnosed with blood clots. And so while I was in the hospital, he contacted um, some of his um, his contacts, some people that are experts for some of his cases. And he told them what was going on. And one of the guys, he said, you know, Derek, there's only one person that I would be sending my daughter to. Here's his name, his number. He's going to call you and he's going to set up an appointment with you guys and Allison and he's going to be able to help you. And so this doctor that he um, set us up with, he is a pulmonary hypertension specialist at Penn, um, Dr. Steve Puglise, and he played such a huge role, like the most significant role in um, helping me eventually get become cured because of my blood clots. Um, and so he got me in literally right away. So I was discharged from the hospital, from Bryn Mawr Hospital. And within, I think it was four days, I got in to see um, this pulmonary hypertension specialist. So I had to do all these tests again. And he was so comforting. Um, so, so comforting. And he told us, you know, we're going to figure this out. We're going to see, you know, what's going to happen. I've seen this before. This is like what I work with. We're, we're going to see what's wrong with you. We're going to see what's going to happen with these clots and you're going to be okay. And that was so, so encouraging to hear. He was so comforting. I knew he was an expert and that was something that was also very comforting. Um, but also he was just so positive that we were going to figure out what was wrong with me because we we still didn't know everything you know now I know so much about blood clots and CTEF and PTE surgery and all of this stuff but back then I had no idea I was so scared because I, I felt like I was the only one who you know had gone through this um but he was so so comforting so with him, I went through, you know, all my medical history again. And after going through that medical history, like, you know, we discussed that based on my family history, which I do have a family history of blood clots, but also birth control, um, that the birth control is what caused my blood clots. And so um, it was good to kind of get that answer. Some of it could have also been contributed to all the traveling that I did do in Spain, but just based on the timeline, based on my medical history, based on my family history, um, we all believe that birth control is what caused um, my blood clots, especially because I did start to notice symptoms pretty soon after starting the pill. So that's something that he helped us um, determine. And so with him, um, with this pulmonary hypertension specialist, I started to see him like every three months. And so I was on blood thinners. And for normal people who are diagnosed with blood clots, a lot of times after they are on blood thinners for three, six, or nine months, their blood clots dissolve. For me, what was really concerning um, is that my blood clots, they were not acute. And so acute means that you, it's like a brand new blood clot, like it's just formed. My blood clots were, you know, after 
getting evaluated and everything, my blood clots were chronic. So we believed that they had been there for a while, you know, since I had been in Spain um, is when we think that I started to clot. And so they weren't dissolving. They were actually turning into scar tissue, which is super crazy that that can happen, but they were starting to turn into scar tissue. And so with my pulmonary hypertension specialist, the first thing to do was to see if any of them would dissolve on their own. And unfortunately, they didn't. The blood clots did not dissolve on their own. And so because they didn't after, you know, nine months, um, and also my pulmonary um, pressures, they didn't lower to, you know, a normal number. They were still elevated. They were lower than what they had been in the hospital. Um, but they, because the uh, clot in my pulmonary artery was dissolved, but they were still way higher than the average person, um, especially somebody my age. And so because my clots hadn't dissolved and because um, my pulmonary um, pressures were still really high, my pulmonary hypertension specialist, he kept um, or he started to test me for a disease called CTEF, which is chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And that's just a really fancy way for saying that you have chronic blood clots and pulmonary hypertension. Um, and so essentially because when your heart is pumping out blood and you have chronic clots, it starts to meet resistance and that puts, puts a lot of pressure on your heart and raises your um, pulmonary pressures. Um, and so because that that that's what the disease is like that's what what is happening if you have ctef but over time if ctef doesn't get diagnosed and doesn't get treated you can end up in um heart failure and also needing oxygen and so that was really the fear and really what we were trying to determine as I was going through all of this testing once we realized that my clots weren't going to dissolve um, on their own. We wanted to see if I actually did have CTEF um, and if I didn't have CTEF, we wanted to see if I had something called CTED, um, which is basically cr just chronic clotting without um, the really high pulmonary pressures. So um, that's what we were focusing on for about a year and a half following my initial, my initial blood clot diagnosis. And so I had about a year and a half where I was going to my hematologist all the time and I was going to my pulmonary hypertension specialist all the time getting all these different types of tests. I was getting VQ scans, which is like a ventilation and perfusion scan, basically to see how um, you're able, how your lungs like are able to take in air and oxygenate and all of this stuff and ventilate and all of that. Um, so I had a lot of those. I had to do a lot of blood work. Um, and then also I had to do, I also had some CAT scans, but I also had to do some what they call exercise tests because during this time I felt so much better. Um, so much better. Like I felt like I could breathe a lot better, but when I was walking or exercising, um, I was still so out of breath. So I had to do a pulmonary function test, which is also a six minute walk test. Um, it's literally you, you walk, back and forth for six minutes and they measure um, 
how, how well, like your oxygen levels and your heart rate and all that. And then I also had a cardiopulmonary exercise test. And so during this time too, the only thing that my, my pulmonary hypertension specialist told me to do was exercise and to take my blood thinner. <laughs> and so I started to exercise more frequently. Um, because that was, you know, the only thing that, that my doctor told me to do. And so I was exercising, um, and I was really living a, a normal life. Um, I was able to do everything. A lot of people that were in or are in similar situations to what I was, um, then, you know, a lot of people couldn't even really take care of themselves. A, a lot of people that have the, um, the, the pulmonary hypertension that I had, the levels that I had, um, would not have been able to like dress themselves. A lot of people would have been on oxygen, but my body just compensated so well. And so I was still going to school. I was still in college. I was going to classes. Um, I was, I was exercising, like I was active, um, as active as I could be. And overall I felt good. And so what we were really praying for is that Initially, we were really praying that my clots would dissolve on their own and that I wouldn't need surgery. I knew that this open heart surgery was a possibility after talking to my pulmonary hypertension specialist, but he didn't want to say, this is what you're going to need until he knew for sure that I had CTEF. Um, and I appreciate him so much for that. Um, he said, you know, you're still really young. Um, not that it's an emergent need for you. Like if you would need the surgery, it's not super emergent because you are living your life. But if this is something that you are diagnosed with, like we do want to know sooner rather than later, and then you can kind of decide when you would want to get it. But we're not going to even talk about that until we know for sure that you have CTEF and that you could potentially be a candidate and so for the surgery. And so that's something that I really appreciate him doing. Um, so like I said, initially we were really praying and hoping that I would not need the surgery. And then we got to the point where we had done a ton, a ton of testing and it was about a year and a half into testing and he really wanted to see if my shortness of breath and my symptoms were really only caused by exercising. Um, and so I had to do a cardiopulmonary exercise test. Um, and I mentioned that a little bit, a little bit earlier, but basically for this test, you are on a bike and you have to pedal as they raise the resistance. And so just like with anything, you know, as you raise the resistance and you're pedaling harder, you get more short of breath. And when I was told that I was going to need to take this test, <laughs> my mom and I, we were like, all right, you know, we can pass this test. I don't know why we said we, because my mom wasn't taking the test, but we were like, you know, we can pass this test. And because this was a test that was really going to determine whether or not I definitely had CTEF and if I was definitely going to need surgery. And so, um, I started training at the gym. I was like on the bike, the stationary bike, just pedaling and I would pedal and I would raise the resistance. And I was like, you know, this is going to be a breeze. I'm totally going to pass it. Um, I'm not going to need surgery. This is going to be great. I got to the test and it was so hard. I don't know what they put the resistance at. I don't know what it was, but I remember I was pedaling and pedaling and I was like, I am literally failing this. This is absolutely terrible. There is no way that I passed this test. And I was right. I did not pass that test. 
I actually miserably failed it. Um, and so I remember after I finished that test, I got a call from my doctor and he was like, you know, this really solidifies that you, you do have CTEF and you do have chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And this shows me that you are definitely a candidate for PTE surgery or a pulmonary thromboendarterectomy and that you are a candidate for the surgery and that you should have the surgery and that the surgery is going to cure you. And so he, and I kind of knew this was coming. And so I was still terrified, obviously, but I kind of knew that it was coming, especially after that test. And so he said, you know, there's a couple hospitals in Philadelphia where we do this surgery. It's a very rare surgery. Um, but because of the way your class are situated in your lungs, they're very distal. So they're in like the lower parts of your lungs. I don't really think that you should get it done here. I think you should go to UCSD where they created the surgery and, um, you know, get, get your surgery there. First, we have to see if you would be considered a candidate there and, you know, um, we can, we can go from there. So that's what we did. All my medical records got sent to UCSD and within like maybe a month, um, I got a call that I was a candidate for the surgery and I scheduled my surgery and yeah, that's where I'm going to stop at that part of the story. And then next part, we're going to talk a little bit more about the whole surgery, what it looked like, that whole process. But that is honestly, it's even a shortened version <laughs> of everything that happened over those few years of being diagnosed with blood clots. You know, it started when I was 20 going on birth control. And then by the end of that, by the time I was told, you know, you're going to need this open heart surgery, I was 23. And um, it felt like I had lived so many, like, I, I felt like I had aged so much in those three years. Um, from the time that I was, you know, diagnosed to the time that I was told that I, I needed the surgery. Um, but one thing that I really learned during this whole process, especially once, you know, I was going through all that testing to see if I did have CTEF is I learned really what it's like to have an invisible illness because from the outside looking in, I looked so healthy. Nobody would have ever known that I had blood clots all over my lungs unless maybe they heard me breathing when I was like going up a flight of stairs or something because it was not pretty. But nobody from the outside would have ever thought that I was as sick as what I was. Nobody from the outside would have thought like, hey, this girl is like really slowly going into heart failure. This girl's heart is pretty damaged. Nobody would have ever thought that. And because I, I didn't look sick, you know, I looked like a healthy, normal college student. Um, it really just opened my eyes to what it's like to have an invisible illness. And I feel like, I don't even really know where I want to go with this besides that you really don't know what somebody else is going through. You know, somebody can look super, super healthy and they can actually be so sick. And I think that's why it's really important 
to always just give people the benefit of the doubt. You do not know what people are going through. You do not know how people feel, what their health is like. And it's just really important to be kind to everybody that you meet because you really do not know what people are going through. And I feel like that <laughs> that's kind of a random thought to, to have. Um, but I really, really learned that over the course of that time period. You really, truly do not know what someone else is going through. So that's my blood clot story. And I feel like I'm probably missing little bits and pieces. There was so much that happened. And I don't even know if that was the best, <laughs> the best, um, telling of storytelling of what that period was like I feel like I was all over the place and it's kind of choppy and I hope that you guys were able to follow along with it there was just so much that happened and that was kind of just scratching the surface I know there's things that I'm probably forgetting but if you do have questions about any of this you can always message me um but that is that's really the story that's really how it went down um, from the time that I started to experience symptoms to the time that I was diagnosed with CTEF. I will say too is that during this time, I really was so scared out of my mind. So, so terrified. I felt so out of control of my body. I felt almost like my body hated me. Um, I felt kind of betrayed by my body too because I was just like, why, why did, I never really thought, why did this happen to me? But I did kind of think, you know, like, why, you know, um, why did my body do this to me? It wasn't like, why did this happen to me? It was more, why is my body doing this to me? And there were times when I would get really frustrated and I would think back to like, if only I had decided not to go on the pill, that was that was something that I did struggle with a little bit. I tried not to think about it too much because I know that if I went back, even if I knew a lot of a, a lot more about the pill, at that time in my life, I don't know if I would have necessarily made a different decision because I was struggling so much with my periods. I would like to think that I would have made a different decision and I would have kind of looked more into natural routes and things like that. But I tried really not to dwell on that too much. You know, like what if I just hadn't gone on the pill? Um, because it was really painful for me to think of because then I would start to think, well, it's all my fault that this happened to me. And it's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's, it's honestly... It, it's nobody's fault. And it was kind of hard to also kind of come to that realization as well, because when something bad happens to you, you want to place blame on someone. And I know like my mom too, we've talked about this. My mom would in some instances blame herself. Like I should have just said, absolutely no, you can't go on the pill. And you know, you can't really blame anyone in these types of situations. That doesn't help anything. Um, and so that was something that I had to kind of come to terms with too. But there were just so many emotions um, that I went through during that time. So many things that I dealt with that like I kind of battled in my head about. Like it was such a confusing, confusing time emotionally um, because I never really 
gone. It's kind of different when something happens to somebody else in your life. Like when my mom had cancer, it was so hard in our family, but I was also really young. It's a lot different when you're going through it firsthand. And I know everyone in my family had a lot of different emotions about it during that time. And everybody was scared. Everybody was stressed out, um, especially because we really, we didn't know what was going to happen. We really didn't know. And not just like what would happen medically, but we also, there was a period of time where we didn't even know like if I would make it. We, we didn't know. We had no idea because we knew that if nothing was done, I would go into heart failure and eventually die. And um, there were just a lot of emotions, a lot of unknowns, and it was very, very scary. And so if you are going through a blood clot diagnosis, just know that whatever you are feeling is valid. You are going to feel so many emotions and that's normal. It is scary. It is terrifying. You're going to be stressed. You're going to be sad. You're going to be everything. Like there's, there, there are so many emotions, so many emotions. And that's so, so normal. And a lot of people aren't going to understand it either because I feel like people like have heard of blood clots, but they don't realize just how damaging blood clots can be. I feel like when people hear about blood clots, they just kind of brush it off. Like, oh, you have a blood clot, no big deal. But blood clots are so common, unfortunately, and can cause so much damage, so much damage. And it is really just an emotional roller coaster when you get a diagnosis like a blood clot diagnosis, because you're dealing with pain. You're dealing with a lot of symptoms. You are dealing with stress. It's just, it's a lot. It is a lot, a lot, a lot. And so now I want to transition into talking a little bit more about blood clots and birth control. But before I do that, I know I already said this, but next in part two, we're going to pick up around when I was like officially diagnosed with CTEF and kind of what the process looked like um, as I got PT surgery and then once I got to San Diego for my PT surgery. Um, so that's what you can expect in part two. But blood clots and birth control, I wanted to share a little bit about this because obviously I've shared my blood clots were caused by birth control, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I really encourage you all to do your own research, but I want to share some things that I have learned that I wish I had known um, with you guys so that, you know, if you hear something, you can do your own research and whatever it is that I share, um, but also just so that you are learning a little bit more about why blood clots are caused by birth control. So birth control for dummies, this is something that I didn't know. I just thought when I first got on birth control, I just thought, okay, obviously I know people go on birth control to prevent pregnancy, but they also go on birth control to balance your hormones. Birth control does not balance your hormones. Birth control essentially tells your body to stop doing what it is naturally meant to do. So birth control tells your body basically stop ovulating. So ovulation is a natural part of a woman's body, her cycle, and birth control tells your body to stop doing this. Now, like I said too, people aren't always using birth control to stop ovulation to prevent pregnancy. Doctors are also prescribing it to treat acne, to 
balance hormones, which it doesn't do. Um, among other things, you know, women with PCOS, they're prescribed birth control. Um, some women with other conditions are prescribed birth control. Doctors are prescribing it honestly like candy um, for a variety of different reasons, um, which I think is part of the problem um, in, in terms of women's health. Um, but something that I, I learned, and this is really crazy to me, is that approximately 13 million women in the United States are on hormonal birth control. 13 million. It is so, so common for women to be on hormonal birth control. And something that I think is even more concerning is that people are putting 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds on birth control. And then these girls are on birth control from the time they are not even a teenager until their 20s, 30s, 40s. It's crazy to me. But 13 million women in the U.S. are on hormonal birth control. And between 3 to 9 healthy women per 10,000 who are using hormonal birth control will be diagnosed with blood clots. That's kind of a crazy number. And when you do research, you will see that... Most websites will say, yeah, birth control creates a higher risk for blood clots, but it's actually not that common. It's crazy to me. Um, but for um, women using hormonal birth control, the risk for blood clots, it increases 13-fold during the first use of women under 30. Most people, and I think that's crazy, in increasing by 13 times crazy. But for most women that I have talked to and in my own experience is most women who end up getting blood clots from birth control, it seems to happen pretty close to the time that someone starts using birth control. Now, if you're trying out different birth controls, I don't really know anything about that. Like Maybe a woman is trying a birth control and they don't really have any side effects. They don't clot, but then they try another one. The The risk might even increase more and they could end up getting a blood clot on a different one. I'm not really sure how that works, but um, it does seem like for most people that I have talked to that have shared their stories with me, that if they have gotten blood clots because of birth control, it has happened pretty soon after starting it. And I know in my case, I was definitely clotting within a couple weeks or months from being on the pill. And I was on a very low estrogen birth control. So just, just something to keep in mind. A lot of women don't understand or know why birth control does increase the risk of blood clots. And so I was doing some research into this because I had been confused. People just say, oh yeah, like it increases the risk of blood clots blood clots, but why? Um, and I found this, um, this statement in, um, on PubMed. It's a study called coagulation effects of oral contraception. Um, so if you like sciencey stuff, <laughs> feel free to go check it out. But also there are a ton, a ton of studies on birth, on birth control on PubMed. Check it out. Seriously. Um, do some research through it. It's really, really interesting. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that then. But this study, it's talking about, you know, coagulation is blood clotting. So it's talking about 
the effects of coagulation and blood clotting on oral contraception. So birth control. But it says estrogen slash progestin, progestin, oral contraception affects blood clotting by increasing plasma fibronogen and the activity of coagulation factors like factor five, all that type of stuff. Um, and so that's, that's why blood clotting can happen on birth control is just the increase of estrogen and progestin, um, it, it just affects it. It increases blood clotting. And then you get into how a lot of uh, birth controls are made with synthetic hormones, man-made hormones that really just increases the risk. Um, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not a doctor. So I can't really explain any of this super eloquently, but it just, it, it, it affects the way that your body clots the the extra hormones, whether natural or synthetic. It just it affects the way that the blood clots in your body, and for a lot of women, that it can increase. Um, it's also another reason why a lot of women who are pregnant, um, you you hear of them getting blood clots because the estrogen in their body increases, and it increases the risk for blood clotting. It's just something with the hormones. Um, where the, the extra hormones cause blood clotting. And because, like this study said, it increases plasma fibrinogen, I think is how you say it, and the activity of a lot of blood clotting or coagulation factors. I find that to be fascinating. I don't know if that's just because of my medical history, but I find that to just be so interesting. I don't know if... Um, doctors or scientists have figured out why this happens or not. That's something that I do have to, you know, look into, but I find it so interesting that it does. Um, but also knowing this, it's crazy to me that doctors are willing to prescribe birth controls that have just these synthetic fake hormones. It's crazy to me. It's something I can't really wrap my, wrap my head around. Um, but something else that I have learned too is that the hormones in hormonal birth control, like I just said, are, are synthetic for the most part. They're not natural. Um, and so this includes synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone or progestin. And progestin, the majority of that is made from testosterone, which is wild. And so depending on the type of birth control that you're on, if it has progestin in it, this is why some women actually experience some adverse side effects like unwanted hair growth and weight gain from birth control because of the testosterone. Um, so they are getting these side effects from the testosterone rather than the estrogen. And the whole thing is just wild. Um, and like I said, it kind of depends on whichever type of birth control you're on. So there's different generations of birth control pills. There's first generation, second, third, and fourth generation birth control pills. And I'm not going to go into all of them because I feel like I'm honestly not going to be able to explain it all well. It makes sense in my head, like when I, when I read about it and everything, but I don't think I can explain it very well, but I am going to give you guys some resources then where you can, you know, learn about this yourself. Um, but the fourth generation uh, pills, which a lot of women are being prescribed now, 
um, they're newer, they are showing a higher percentage of women diagnosed with blood clots. And so, um, these are combination hormonal birth control pills and these contain progestin, which we just talked about how that is made with synthetic testosterone. Um, and so they contain a progestin called, I think it's desogestrel is how you pronounce it. And these fourth generation combination hormonal birth control pills, um, they increase the risk of blood clots more than some other types of birth control pills that contain other types of progestin. And this progestin is called drospirinone, I think is how you say it. Again, not a doctor. I'm definitely butchering some of, some of these. Um, but this is a progestin that is found in pills such as Yaz or Yasmin. And these have a much higher risk of blood clots than other types of progestin. And I will say, I have done research into this and it's so crazy to me. You will find like some articles, some studies that say like, oh no, this doesn't increase the risk of blood clots. You'll hear others that say it does. The research on this, I think because there's just a lack of research on it, it seems so conflicting. But based off of the stories that I have heard and my own story, these birth control pills definitely do seem to have like a greater risk of blood clots. And if you do some research into the big names of birth control pills, you can see like the types of synthetic hormones and things that are in them. But Yaz and Yasmin, this is a birth control um, that was very popular. I don't know if you remember seeing like all of the Yaz commercials um, probably like 10 years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Like there were always Yaz commercials. But Yaz and Yasmin have so many lawsuits against them for blood clots. Like there are so many women that were on Yaz and Yasmin that died um, or had similar situations to myself um, or, you know, just other types of situations involving blood clots, strokes, things like that because of those birth control pills. Those, I feel like that is probably the most well-known birth control pill that um, caused a lot of women to have blood clots. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that then. But yeah, I mean, regardless of what birth control you are on, there is always going to be an increased risk for blood clots. And something that I very much dislike is that doctors seem to downplay this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. They'll say, oh, it's, it's not that common. It's, it's not necessarily. I think it's more common than what doctors tell you it is. Um, but just because it might not be common, it doesn't mean it can't happen to you. And that's something that I try to share as much as possible is like, and one of the reasons why I share so much is because just because my story is really, really extreme and it probably won't happen to you doesn't mean that it can't. And that's not to scare anyone. It's just the reality of it. You never think that something's going to happen until it happens to you. And that's scary. But when you are properly educated and you know the um, 
potential side effects of what you're putting in your body and you know the symptoms of what those side effects are, you can be better prepared. You can, you know, unlike me, not wait a year to go to the doctor. You can go at the first sign of a symptom. Um, and I think there's just so, there's just a lack of education all around and it is such a disservice to women. That was not a tangent that I thought I was going to go on right now, <laughs> but since we're there, I really just don't think that women are educated about what they are putting in their bodies at all. Um, women just like myself think that birth control is normal. It's typical. I do feel like though a lot of women are waking up to the dangerous side effects of birth control and not just because there are people that, you know, out there who are getting blood clots, but I think we have seen an increase of women who have gained a lot of weight, who just don't feel like themselves, who are depressed, um, who are struggling now to conceive, who have been on birth control for years and years and years, who are realizing that birth control is playing a role in all of this. And unfortunately, when a woman decides that they want to go on birth control, they are not told that these are necessarily side effects. They're, it's kind of like, oh, you know, before you go on any medication, it's like, okay, here are the side effects, but nobody goes in depth. Nobody tells you that birth control is a group one carcinogen, meaning that it can cause cancer. Nobody really tells you just how high the risk is for depression. People do not want to talk about how birth control causes infertility. That seems to really get some people mad, but you just have to think about it. You know, if you are taking something that is suppressing ovulation, that is telling your body to not do what it's naturally meant to do, and especially when what, it, what it's telling it not to do is to provide, you know, that safe space for a baby one day, you know, it's it's no wonder that people, that women are having issues getting pregnant. Um People don't tell you that birth control depletes your body of a lot of essential minerals. They don't tell you that it creates gut issues. They don't want to tell you how much weight you can gain on birth control. They don't tell you that it doesn't balance your hormones. And they don't tell you that birth control can literally change who you're attracted to. So many of these things are things that women need to know before going on birth control. They need to know all these things, but they should also know like we were just talking about, the different types of hormones that are in the birth control. Women, in my opinion, should, every single woman should have to get a blood test to go through coagulation factors um, and to test other things to see if, you know, it would be, I don't even want to say safe because I don't think that birth control is safe to put in your body, but if they, you know, to make sure that they don't have any factors that could cause blood clots or some other symptoms from birth control. And I think it's really, really messed up that women just say, okay, I want to go on birth control and here's a prescription. It is really just passed out like candy, especially to these young girls. And that is something that I just, I think it's terrible. I think that there is just such a lack of education for women in this world, not just this country, in this world about how their bodies work and to just pump them full of synthetic hormones from the time that they are really young, regardless of it's 11 or 20, 20 is still very young, is just really horrible. I wish so badly that 
you know, I had been educated about what birth control really is. And I wish too that I had just been educated more about my body, about like what my cycle actually is, about the different phases of my cycle so that I could have been more aware um, and could have learned more about my body. I think that that is something that women should be taught about from a young age rather than, oh, you know, you're dealing with you know, period cramps and all of this, you know, here, here's some birth control. I just find it to be so, so messed up. And unfortunately, then birth control causes a lot of issues that then cause women to have to go on other medications and things for. And it's just the whole, the whole thing is so, so frustrating to me, especially because I have heard now so many stories from other women who have gotten blood clots because of birth control. I was talking to one one girl that I know, and she had an aneurysm because of birth control. Um, it's just, it's really, really eye-opening to hear stories from women. Um, I actually, I had a reel that went super, super viral on Instagram. Um, and it was like, it's such a cringy reel. I almost didn't post it, but it blew up. It got like 13.7 million views, which was insane. But I have thousands and thousands and thousands of comments on that reel of people sharing their story with birth control and women sharing that they got blood clots from birth control. And some of the stories are just so heartbreaking. And we could eliminate that. We could eliminate all these things that women are going through because of birth control if they were just properly educated. Just properly educated. I just don't understand why women are not properly educated about birth control and about their bodies. Even more so now. It just, it makes no sense to me. But something that I've really been working on and trying to do is educating myself now about my own body. Um, because I really don't plan on going on birth control again. Um, it's not something that I want to do. Honestly, it would really, really freak me out to go on birth control again. Um, but I'm so grateful now that now I am a little bit more aware about how my body works and I'm kind of on this journey of learning more about my hormones and my cycle and it's been really empowering. I feel like women would be way more empowered to learn about their body and to learn about their cycle and to learn about how amazing it is that our bodies are able to do the things that they do and that the things that happen in our cycle are each for a purpose Women would be so much more empowered if they learned this as opposed to just being prescribed a, a pill. Um, and I just think women need to be more educated. And I highly encourage you that if you aren't getting educated by your doctor, which I would assume most of you aren't, to do some of your own research and educate yourself. It really is empowering. Um, there are a ton, a ton of... Um, accounts on Instagram and things where there are like hormone specialists and, and nurse practitioners and things that share a little bit more about, um, you know, your cycle and your hormones and really educate you. And I think along with looking at that type of stuff, you have to do your own research, but it's a really good starting point. Um, it really, really is. I love, um, Barian Barry's account. Her account is really wonderful and Buns and Balance, that's a great account as well. Um, Dr. Cataldi is another great account. Um, there, there's a lot. And once you start to follow them, you can go through who they follow as well and you can kind of um, 
you, you can find some other people too with some really great information. But all of this to say, which I know I repeated myself a lot during this episode, but all of this to say that women just need to be educated. They need to be educated about what they're putting in their bodies. They need to know the side effects of birth control on their bodies. They need to just know that synthetic hormones, while it might be the answer to some things, there's always going to be a negative effect. I don't think I've talked to one woman who has not experienced a single negative um, effect from birth control. The majority of people I think have, and it really comes back to education. And I think if you are being educated, it kind of starts with you. You can start educating yourself and passing that along to your friends, to, you know, your daughter one day. Um, It all starts with education. It all starts with learning it yourself. And I highly, highly encourage you to do your own research. If you are on the pill, I don't want you to feel bad about being on the pill at all. I'm not trying to shame you about being on the pill. I know there are a lot of women on the pill for various reasons, but I hope this is just eye-opening for you. I hope that maybe this um, sparks you to do a little bit more research, um, to just know what you're putting in your body just so that you can be aware just so that you can know you know if this symptom does pop up that you can be aware that maybe it is from birth control and you can advocate for yourself in a doctor's office or in a hospital if you're thinking of going off the pill i hope that this encourages you to continue researching a little bit more and to feel empowered to make that decision for yourself um if you're somebody who has or who was diagnosed with blood clots because of birth control i hope that this was just helpful for you and encouraging for you that yes, it's hard. It is a hard diagnosis, but it does, it's going to get better. You're going to be able to make it through and you're going to be okay. And my DMs are always, always, always open. If you ever want to chat, if you ever have questions, um, I'm always here to chat about this and anything else too. Um, But on that note, I do want to just share some of the most commonly asked questions that I get about blood clots and birth control. Um, and I'm going to try and keep this short because this episode has been a little bit on the longer side, which I feel like most of them are now, (laughs) but, um, these are some of the most common questions that I do get. The most common question that I get is what birth control were you on? The birth control that I was on was called Lorena, um, L O R Y N A. And like I said earlier, it was a low estrogen birth control pill and it was, or it is the generic of Yaz, which like I mentioned, Yaz is known for majorly increasing the blood clot risk. And a lot of women who um, were on Yaz did get blood clots and a lot of them did file lawsuits against Yaz. Um, so that's the one that I was on and I did not know when I went on it that it was the generic of Yaz. I had literally no idea. Um, but yeah, that is the birth control that I was on. Another question that I get is, and sometimes this is from like some of the nasty comments that I get on some reels and TikToks and things, but, um, one question is, didn't your doctor tell you about birth control side effects and do you blame your doctor? So when I initially went on birth control, 
I genuinely don't remember if my doctor told me about the side effects of birth control. Um, for me, it was, it didn't like, I didn't even think about the side effects. I wasn't concerned about the side effects because I knew so many people that were on birth control and were seemingly fine. I thought it was just the normal thing that people did. It was super common for girls to go on birth control. I didn't think about the side effects. I was just like, this is what you do and it's fine. Um, my mom says that he did go through them. Um, again, I don't remember. I think from what I remember, he might've been like, you know, these are some of the side effects, you know, weight gain, blood clots, whatever. You know how they say things really casually in, um, like, uh, drug commercials? That's kind of how I remember it. It was like, okay, like, you might get this, 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 or this, but it's not really common. That's how I remember it um, being. But uh, I don't really remember that much about being told about the side effects. Um, and I feel like a lot of other girls that I've talked to have had kind of similar situations when they went on the pill. But I don't blame my doctor at all. I do not blame him. I blame, actually, I don't really blame, but I think that if you want to blame someone, which I'm not at the point where I feel like I need to blame anyone for this, but I would blame just the lack of education that women receive about birth control. I think that's where it all starts. Um, that's, that's really the biggest thing is that women aren't educated and doctors aren't necessarily even educated to really educate women. So I don't blame my doctor at all. I think that it's just a very messed up system where women are literally pumping themselves with synthetic hormones and have no idea what it's doing to their bodies and they aren't educated on it. That's what I think the main issue is and that's what I would blame if I would want to place blame anywhere. Um, another common question is what were my symptoms? And I did share a lot of them with you, um, in the beginning part of this episode, but just to list them out, I experienced those crazy Charlie horses, the leg cramping. That was a symptom. Um, constant coughing. That was another one. Lightheadedness, shortness of breath, um, heart palpitations, and I was really tired all the time. Um, so those were my main, main symptoms. Um, and they are classic, classic signs of a blood clot. Um, another um, question that I get too is a lot of people will share their symptoms that they're experiencing with me when I share my story and ask if they need to go to the doctor. <laughs> so obviously I am not a doctor and I can't give any medical advice, but I would say that if you are experiencing any of those symptoms and you feel like something is off, go get checked out. You know your body better than anyone. And if something feels really off and if you feel like a doctor isn't taking you seriously, you need to advocate for yourself. If a doctor won't do something, you can always go to a different doctor, but you know your body better than anyone. You need to advocate for yourself. If you really feel like, you know, you have these symptoms and like maybe you have a blood clot and you want to get a CAT scan, push for a CAT scan you have to be your biggest advocate. And that's something that you have to keep in mind. I think it's really easy to go to a doctor's office, hear what a doctor has to say. And if they kind of brush off your symptoms or say, no, you're fine. Or, you know, we'll check back in three months. You have every right to say something doesn't feel right. 
I want this test and I want to schedule it now. And you are allowed to do that. You have to be your biggest advocate. And also you have, your health is your responsibility too. And so you can ask questions to your doctor. I know sometimes it can be really intimidating, but ask, ask questions, take notes, be your biggest advocate, learn as much as you can about what they're telling you, um, document your symptoms, like have as much as you can provide to your doctor, like just document what you can um, if something feels off, but just always advocate for yourself. And I always think that it's better to be safe than sorry. Always better to be safe than sorry. Um, especially in this situation, if, if you feel like maybe you do have blood clots. Another question that I get a lot is what blood thinner are you on now? And I am on Eliquis and I'm on five milligrams twice a day, which is actually kind of a higher dosage. Um, but I could lower it. I don't really feel comfortable doing that. And I don't really have any issues on Eliquis. Um, I'm a lifer on blood thinners. I will be taking blood thinners forever. Um, and I used to feel like that was like a death sentence, which sounds kind of dramatic, but I hated the idea of being on medication for life, but my blood thinners actually give me such peace of mind. And I'm so thankful that I haven't had any bad side effects on them. Um, and they, they work really well with my lifestyle. So I, I really like Eloquist. I feel like most people don't really have many side effects with Eloquist. I do know some people feel kind of drowsy on it, but I never had that issue. Um, it works well for me. Whenever it is that I do decide to have kids or I'm ever at that point in my life, I will probably have to go on an injectable blood thinner, which I did have to do for a little bit before my open heart surgery. Um, but that's not something that I really need to worry about right now. But at that time in my life, when that comes, or when that time of my life comes, I will probably have to switch it up a little bit. But as of right now, I'm on Eloquist and I really like it. I have no complaints about it. Um, another question that I get a lot too is people saying, you know, I'm going through a blood clot diagnosis right now and I'm really struggling. What got you through it? And I would be lying if I said it was easy. I struggled a lot a lot mentally, um, a lot emotionally and a lot physically. I just overall struggled. Like it was a major struggle. Um, I think there were probably three things that got me through the first being my family. Um, my family, we are really close and we're really supportive of each other. And they were my shoulder to cry on. They were, um, they were my shoulder to cry on. They were just my support system. They were there to push me. Um, they were there to kind of snap me out of it when I was just like in a negative headspace. But just having them and knowing that they would support me regardless, that's what got me through. That That's one of the things that got me through. Um, they played such a huge role in me just being able to like get through my day to day because there were so many days when it was just such a struggle to just like get up and just like go through my every day. Like there were some days when I was really, really struggling, but my family always helped me get through. Um, I knew they would always be there. I knew that they would be cheering me on and supporting me and they, they would just be there. 
And so I know not everybody has that type of a relationship with their family, but if you're going through a diagnosis like this, having a, a good support system is huge. Um, the second thing was honestly, it, this kind of ties into my family, but honestly, just kind of making the best of the situation. I have always been, I would say more of a positive, optimistic person. So even though I had a lot of hard days, I really did have a positive attitude throughout it. And my mom and I, we always said, you know, if you, if you can't, um, if you're going to cry about it, you might as well laugh about it. And so we, we made a lot of jokes. <laughs> we made a lot of jokes. Um, it's just kind of how like we cope with things and it's, we, we just kind of like poked fun at the whole situation. Like it was some dark humor, honestly, like, and not everybody probably would appreciate it, but that really just helped me keep a positive attitude about it. Um, and having my family there as a support system through that helped as well, but just kind of like making the best of it. It's hard to do sometimes, but sometimes you just have to joke about things, the hard things in life, and it actually makes it a lot better. But definitely the most um, or the biggest thing that got me through was my faith. And I actually think it's it's kind of crazy is for me, I, I grew up in a Christian household and I always had a foundation of faith, but I really wanted my faith to grow. And I do feel like this situation is something that God allowed me to go through to grow my faith. My faith is what I leaned on the most um, during this time. Like I was diving into my Bible and and going to church and and just really intentionally working on growing my faith because that was what I was leaning on. Um, I think sometimes when you go through hard things, and you feel like you're like hitting rock bottom, you feel like you just have to cling to something. And for me, that's what I clung to. It was my faith. It was my relationship with Jesus. And I always say that my blood clot diagnosis and my open heart surgery and all that, it's the worst and the best thing to ever happen to me. But I'm genuinely so grateful that it happened because there are so many things in my life that would not be how they are now had I not gone through it. And one of those is my faith. And so for me, my faith is really, really what got me through. Um, and being surrounded with people um, with such a strong faith and, and people that prayed for me. I had, I was on so many different prayer groups. I had thousands and thousands of people praying for me and I could feel them. Like, I feel like some people might not understand that, but you, I felt peace. Even though I was terrified, I felt peace. And because I was diving into my faith and because I was growing my relationship with Jesus and I was just literally clinging to my faith, but also because I had so many people praying for me, like I, I felt peace in the midst of fear, which sounds kind of strange. And I don't really know how else to describe it, but I really did feel peace in the midst of all of this fear. Um, and that honestly is what got me through. It was what I clung to. And that is 100% what got me through. I was able to really see just God's grace, his goodness, um, throughout all of the moments, all of the hard moments, all of the good moments, all of the, you know, hard news that I got from doctors throughout all of the different, um, 
like the blood clot diagnosis, the CTEF diagnosis, I was able to see really his goodness through everything. And I had some crazy, crazy God moments in the middle of my diagnosis and just this whole journey. And so I was able to just really, really see, see God through so many different parts of that journey. And that's what I clung to. And that's really, really what got me through. Um, and lastly, the last question that I get a lot are, or is, you know, what types of resources, um, do you have for someone that's going through this? So there are a lot of different blood clot groups on Facebook. Um, I'll add the links to them in the show notes here, but there are tons of blood clot groups on Facebook. I feel like not a lot of people use Facebook anymore, but, um, it's a really good resource. I feel like if you, regardless of whether you're going through a blood clot diagnosis or not, whatever it is that you may be going through, even if you're dealing with depression or, you know, cancer or some other type of diagnosis, you can find a lot of different support groups um, on Facebook. And for me, finding Facebook groups was really helpful in finding people around my age who were going through the same thing as what I was going through. So um, I was able to connect with a lot of great people in blood clot Facebook groups. Um, so that's a great resource. If you want to learn a little bit more about birth control, I highly, highly recommend the book, um, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control by Sarah E. Hill. She is um, a doctor and a lot of what she studies is like um, women's hormones and women's health and birth control. She does a lot of different interviews and stuff about the pill. She's on a bunch of different podcasts. And um, I actually, I have not finished this book yet, but I highly, highly, highly recommend buying it, getting it, reading it. It's really, really fascinating. And it's science-y without being too science-y. Like, even if you aren't a science person, you can totally understand what's, what she's talking about. So this is Your Brain on Birth Control by Sarah E. Hill. Highly recommend. And lastly, another great resource that is just kind of informational if you are thinking about going on the pill, thinking about going off the pill, just fascinated by the pill. Um, the documentary, The Business of Birth Control, is really a fantastic, fantastic documentary. Super eye-opening. It goes into the history of the birth control pill. Um, it goes through some stories of women who... Well, all of them actually in the the documentary ended up with blood clots because of the birth control pill. But um, they talk about some of those stories and it's really fascinating. I will put the link to that um, in the show notes as well um, so that you can go and check it out. Um, and I think I have a code too. So if I have a code, I'll put it in the show notes. But I think every single woman needs to watch a documentary. It's like an hour and a half. Um, but it's fascinating, so fascinating, and every single woman needs to needs to watch that. So um, those are a couple of resources, and this is where we're going to leave it until part two. So stay tuned for part two that will be coming out very soon. I'm going to be sharing, um, you know, more of my journey, a little bit more of the details in-depth details about my open heart surgery and that whole process. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in to, to today's episode. I know it was kind of a lot. I know it was a little bit all over the place, but 
this is my story and I always try to be as vulnerable as I can be sharing it. Um, I hope that it was educational for some of you. I hope that it was eye-opening for some of you. And if you know of anybody who is going through any of the things that we talked about, please feel free to share this episode with them. I really hope it can be a resource for people that might be struggling with, you know, making some decisions in terms of birth control or even for people who are for women who have been, you know, diagnosed with blood clots because of birth control. So thank you again so much for tuning in and listening to all of this. I appreciate you all so much and I can't wait for part two. So thank you again and I'll be back very soon. Bye guys.